Hello there, it's Jamila Jamel. Take a deep breath. Let your breath out slowly to the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do you feel better? Well, on my podcast, I Weigh, this month we'll be exploring ways to tackle mental health and feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farron, comedian Neil Brennan, and many more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts. Help Me Be Me is self-help for people who hate self-help, hosted by me, Sarah May. What I talk about on my show is my personal opinion, and it's not a substitute for professional help. Take what helps and leave the rest. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. And that means a lot of salt and no sugar. I've actually been very dehydrated before and it's super not fun, especially if you are in the middle of a hike or maybe a yoga routine. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte lost is sodium and you can lose up to seven grams per day. When sodium isn't replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. Element is so sure you will love their product and come back for more. They are offering you a free Element sample pack. That's eight single serving packets free. Just cover the cost of shipping, $5 for US customers. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash helpmebeme. This deal is not available on their regular website. You must go to drinklmnt.com slash helpmebeme. Try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a salty friend and we'll give your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Hi friends, it's Sarah May. This is an episode I am doing. It's an interview episode, which I are not my most common episodes. <clears throat> it's with a an author named Becca Piastrelli. I mean, you're going to hear that name again shortly. I just wanted to give a little uh, introduction as to why I'm doing this episode in particular. And also um, just address um, all of you who have written to me about the ads in the show. I very much appreciate your very gentle and kind feedback. And as you all know, I have not had advertising in this show for the last seven years and I just started in the last six months so appreciate you walking with me on this (laughs) journey it's been a learning process and I am very much taking your feedback to heart so I'm going to figure out a new way to structure where I put the ads I'm also trans I'm um, moving to a new platform that will hopefully regulate the audio levels issue that was happening previously um, because that stuff is anyway heard you and wanted to let you know I'm going moving forward gonna put all the ads in one spot so that it does not disrupt the flow of the show so when you get to that spot you will know that's the ad spot I'm also gonna do a little thing where I say and now a word from our sponsors so all of that is like stuff that you probably don't need to hear about but I just wanted to let you know because I care and outside of that wanted to introduce this episode I really enjoyed this book it was one of those books that um the title just stood out to me and I it's something I'm working on in my own life so that's why I interviewed this lovely person and I hope you enjoy the episode um wanted to give a little heads up we do talk about a triggering topic in that's in one section of her book um involving suicide and also involving children so if that sounds too intense Um, whenever you hear me ask her to tell the story from the book, you can just fast forward for a little while. And I will say it's, 
it doesn't have a bad ending. <laughs> so if you want, if that helps you feel at ease. Um, and that's it. All right. Enjoy this episode, which is all about rituals and ancestry and kind of like rerouting, I would say, um, in a practice that gives grounding and resonance to um, your life. If maybe religion is absent in your life and you wish you had some sort of connection like that or some practices that were like that. Um, I know for myself, I, I really envy people who do have religion in their life just because of what it does and it helps you pause and kind of be grateful and think of something higher than yourself and I feel like that's a really healthy practice to have and just for that to be formalized in your life is really helpful so in absence of that if you don't have that this would I would say would be a starting point this kind of set of ways of thinking about ritual in your life or ways to kind of foster some sort of um, meaningful routine in your life. So with that, enjoy the episode. Thanks. Sorry, one more caveat. Apologies for mispronouncing B'nai Mitzvah. I um, finally looked it up. Should have done that before I started talking about it. Okay, that's all. Enjoy. Hi, friends. Today I am doing an interview with uh, amazing, uh, lovely human being named Becca Piastrelli, who has just written her first, your first book, right? Mm-hmm. First book. Um, and it's all about, I, I would say, uh, bringing back spirituality or grounding in your life and the importance of um, rekindling our, our sense of uh, our, our, rituals in our lives and, and ancestor. I mean, you can speak to this better than I can, but it, I think it's a beautiful book and I loved the process. I'm still kind of going through it almost like it's like a, a relationship I have to it where mm. I'm like going through different chapters and like taking out a piece of it and then journaling on it. Or sometimes I'm actually like yesterday, I actually planted vegetables. <laughs> I was very inspired <laughs> yeah, with my kids and it was really fun. We made big giant mud puddles. Um, but anyway, Becca, I would love for you to, uh, yeah, tell me about your book and what made you want to write it. Hmm. Well, I'm so honored to be on your show and to be sharing a bit about this and that you're, um, so interested in and affected by the book um, because uh, in some ways the book is really, really simple. You know, it's just the premise is we live in the Aramacene, otherwise known as the age of loneliness. And I remember when I heard that and my whole body was like, yep, (laughs) this whole concept that we're more connected technologically than ever before. And you know, the pace of computers has sort of outpaced our body earth pace. And yet we as a collective human race are recording mental health now. And, um, there is just a massive uptick in a sense of loneliness. And I, 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 uh, pitched and, and outlined this book before we even knew what a coronavirus was and, um, or I knew what a coronavirus was. And then the pandemic hit and then it was like, oh, ouch, ouch. Okay. So there is something to this idea of loneliness and isolation uh, and the ways in which we as ancient 
species, human beings who have millions of ancestors who lived on this earth and, and times when it looked very different um, can look to those ways in order to feel better. That's really the whole point here, right? To feel better. So words I use are rooted or grounded or finding more meaning or finding a sense of connection. I find everyone sort of has the word that resonates for them. And so that's what I talk about. That's like my life goal. I'm like on the journey, peeling the onion of belonging and connection. And so this book is an offering of uh, what I've done and what I do, what I'm doing. And it's divided into four parts, land, lineage, community, and the self. And those are the four pillars, buckets in which I have found like I've moved the dial, like, oh, I'm actually feeling better in these areas. So yeah. And the book is beautifully illustrated and really meant to be savored slowly read in a non-linear way. I love how you're like, yeah, it's just like parts are calling out to me and I offer recipes and rituals and uh, journal prompts as a way to help us step out of our sort of like linear um, growth minded capitalist brain space and get us into our bodies and get us into a place of thinking and being differently Mm -hmm. in this world uh, at this time. Cool. I love that. One of the quotes that I have to find it are, there are a couple quotes that like hit me really hard. Um, Not quotes, sorry. Things you wrote in the book that like just the idea of unhooking from systems of productivity and urgency that because I've definitely been trying to do that. And I didn't really like, I wasn't consciously aware of that. It's like, just like a very, um, uh, like almost like thirst. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I really have to try and like steer myself out of this rhythm. Like I call it kind of like an addiction to routine where you're like almost, yeah, you want to go to this unconscious setting and it very much is like, uh, fear, fear-based instinct of like not wanting to stop engaging with this like nonstop routine, Mm -hmm. but it's like a, it can suck up years without you really even noticing it's happening. Like just with smartphones and the way that people work nowadays. Yes. Oh my gosh. I so relate to that in so many ways. Uh, and I'm always just like telling people like, despite the book I wrote and maybe what you perceive from my Instagram, like I am not like living in an earthen hut, you know, like operating <laughs> slippers. I am a mom of a one and a half year old toddler living in suburban California, like doing my best to remind myself that like the earth and my body don't operate at the pace of my inbox. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to do things in a slower, different way that feels good for my body because nearly all of us um, are feeling a struggle with the keeping up with, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I particularly talk to parents, particularly in this time, that are like, oh, wait, this is unsustainable and it's hurting. It's like it's hurting us, whether mentally or physically or in, you know, emotionally. And, And um, unfortunately, I don't think there's like an easy fix here. It's just being in the conversation about what isn't working and what feels a little bit 
better. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, on just realizing that this pace and these systems of productivity, um, are not meant for our animal bodies and that it's okay to say it's not working for you. Mm -hmm. How did you arrive at, cause it seems like just backing up, like on this show, I do offer a lot of rituals and things that like we can do for ourselves to kind of reconnect to ourselves and, or reconstruct something higher and, um, bigger than ourselves. Cause I think a lot of people have baggage with religion or they have, um, a religion that they were brought up in that they don't, that doesn't resonate with them. Or we have like no connection to our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Um, and we would love to have that, but we don't have it. So I think like this, I think this collective unconscious kind of craving for uh, spirituality and a connection to something higher and rooting mm-hmm. is like, I feel it's happening all around us. And people are like trying desperately to find something. And for a lot of people that feel a little bit alienated by the language of, I don't know, the closest thing we have is really just like Oprah. <laughs> You know, yeah. like it can feel a little bit like um, manipulative or commerce based. So for me, this yeah. book very much resonated because it's about trying to create that for yourself in a way that you can give it to your kids and your family, which I'm so, I'm just very much trying to build that right now with my, my kids are pretty young too. I have a one and a half year old and a four year old and like just to instill some form of prayer with them and like something mm-hmm. that some belief system for them. I'm like, um, so this book felt like you kind of gave form to like how we can construct that meaning for ourselves in our lives and like, uh, a sense of, um, bigger than, so I would love to know how you arrived mm-hmm. at this process and how it evolved for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the point in the conversation where some listeners are like, Ooh, my religion things are peaking and I'm nervous (laughs) about, yeah. About, um, like what does ritual mean? And is this like a cult? Yeah. Like there's so (laughs) much baggage we as a culture have around this. And so what I, in my own sort of, uh, curiosity, nosiness around, uh, the history of, uh, humans wanting to commune together to feel connection to something more than themselves. Like, yeah, there's a lot of problematic history there and problematic stuff happening to this day, manipulative stuff. But what remains true is our longing, you know, our longing and, and the original connection we had, we have as humanity to the natural world, to the seasons and cycles of the earth and the moon and the stars and There's a way in which I look to our ancestors, no matter what our ancestry is, that we all are descended from, from people who felt that connection and, and knew how to be in community. And that I believe is our birthright. And then systems of power, oppressive systems of power throughout history. um, And we're all thinking of that right right now have come in and, um, and asserted their power on that. And now we're in a time of commodifying it, right? We're in a time of commodifying it. And so we'll set that aside because that's not really my thesis here. My thesis is that it is our birthright to feel a connection to something more than ourselves. And that a lot of this feeling of being lonely is a, is a historical severing from 
the, the life that is teeming all around us, like Google the tree internet, Google, like the mycelium network. Like oh my it, gosh. Love. Have you read entangled life by the way? It's like yes. my favorite book. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's just like to remember that just like to look at this, this way of animism, which is a term of really feeling um, all things being alive around you and, and to go in the garden, or even if you live in the concrete jungle, to think that the beneath that concrete, there are waters flowing and there are bones um, fossilizing and there are um, just like microbes and mycelium breathing <laughs> and that that has always been and that we are not separate. This whole idea of nature, going out into nature, that's like a colonial term that separates us from the living world, which is a term I'm using instead of nature these days that a teacher, um, Mila Prince shared with me, which is mm. like, we have forgotten. And it's just been like, because of systems of oppression and powerful forces and many, many, many generations of convincing us we need to be alone in our nuclear family homes, which I am in right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm in the system, but I'm realizing a lot of this disconnection is historical and takes time to repair and unlearn. So we are like, we have a right to feel connected and to listen to that longing. Uh, and the, my book is an offering of a way to start, which is like pretty, this is what I'm saying in the beginning, like it's pretty simple stuff. And oftentimes, and you know, our brains want to make it complicated and ornate. It's like as simple as like putting your feet in the earth. It's as simple as like, like just touching a tree or planting a vegetable uh, or just being alone with yourself and listening to your body. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> Preach on. <laughs> it's really nice. <laughs> um, well, I love that you've gathered all of this wisdom too for us. I mean, it does sound like I, although it's simple, it's like a lot of it is it's hard to access, especially if yeah. you are in a very like unconscious routine-based email driven, uh, brain setting. So yeah. like, it's helpful, I think, to have things offered, like, for example, um, learning how to ferment vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, uh, there's so many things like that, that are like, sort of, uh, you wouldn't normally think of as spiritual practice, but it's so magical <laughs> to be yes. able to try something like that. And then be like, I made this just by <laughs> letting it sit for a really long time in the dark. It's like it's such a cool and, uh, amazing superpower to return to some of these practices. So I yes. appreciate that aspect of the book. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, for anyone that's interested, it, is it for sale now or is it not? Oh yeah. It's okay. out. Yeah. Um, well, there's like the way it's structured. So it's four parts. I'm very curious as to why you decided on the four parts, but then there are these at the end or throughout these different practices you can do as well as journal prompts, which I like a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, tell me about the four parts of the book. Yeah. So it's land lineage community and the self. And I came up with them because they were the four areas that I felt the deepest longing or yearning or pain mm. in my life. So land, right. I'm talking about nature, the living world, um, feeling like I didn't know how to garden, feeling like growing up, feeling afraid of plants. Will they 
poison me? Will they sting me? Will they, um, you know, were they um, bothersome, uh, afraid of bees, thought ants were scared, you know, all these things, which is like, fine, if you feel that, but the, the bigger point here is I felt a separation and a fear. And then just coming of age and really um, understanding, you know, really being really concerned about changing climate and um, realizing a lot of what we need to do as humans alive in this time is return to a sense of wonder and appreciation and honoring and reverence of the living world that, oh, that was like conceptually what I wanted, but yet difficult for me to do. Mm. Uh, And so that's an area that I talk about. Lineage is about ancestors, which is, can, which is quite a loaded topic for many of us. And a lot of that for me came from a a reckoning with my whiteness and a real sense of um, feeling cultureless. Uh, I am descended from settler colonizers of um, Maine, modern day Maine and New Hampshire and really settling with, or really contending with like the pain and harm that my ancestors cause. And then thinking about, oh, but what, what are my ancestors original homes and what did they eat? And, um, what, what was the weather like? And, and, um, what music do they listen to? What stories, what are their creation stories and all of that for me to understand. And then to look deeper, not just like the people I'm descended from, but like, the fact that uh, we are descended from like mushrooms, we are descended from stardust to really get a sense of, again, we're, we're working with loneliness here, a sense of like the family, the lineage, the ancestors that I descend from and feeling a spiritual connection to all that came before me. And then the humanity of that, like the legacy of harm, the legacy of resilience, the legacy of bravery and generosity. I found that um, fortifying. Mm. So that was that section. And then community. Yeah. That's when I talk about, I can talk about forever, right. Our yearning for the village, our yearning to feel connected to each other, our yearning to feel comfortable. And, um, like we have deep and meaningful friends, which can be so hard to have as an adult. I became a new mom in the pandemic and just felt like, Oh, I don't think I'm supposed to do this alone. <laughs> I'm doing this alone and it really sucks. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I talk about uh, rites of passage and ritual and the ways in which we need to be witnessed and seen in the ways our life changed by each other and how, Ooh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. That's so true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, we do. We very much need to be witnessed in order to know that a shift has happened, right? Every human being, no matter what your life path is, goes through radical life transformation and it changes our identity. Mm -hmm. And how do we know what identity is? It's by being witnessed by others. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so, it's funny you say that because like the first thing that popped in my head was a friend of mine, I went to his children's benai mitzvah. I think that's how, I don't actually know how to pronounce it correctly. Either way, it is a, it was like something I almost, I almost felt sad. I didn't have one Yeah, just because it was so, I was, I was like so moved by just the the practice of them walking through under this threshold 
and uh, having all of these people witness them in like a giant group and then celebrating that and then having a giant party for it. And I'm like, that's so powerful. Like what a monumental moment in life yeah. to be celebrated. I mean, to have any of those throughout your life, like a quinceanera, I feel like the same way about, I'm like, that's so beautiful. Mm. Wish I had things like that, that, I mean, I had many, many other gifts, but still just to have like a progression through a life stage that was commemorated in some very meaningful way, I think would have been a wonderful experience to have. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Uh, and yeah, having not grown up in a strong, like cultural religious tradition in which, uh, those ritual celebrations, threshold moments were held onto except wedding, mm -hmm. baby shower. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I've so, so in, there's a chapter in the community section, I talk about, we can create our own rituals for, to honor rites of passage. I even talk about, um, creating rituals to honor rites of passage that happened in the past. Like mm -hmm. I have been a part of rituals, uh, where, um, with women who are in their elder years, who are honoring when they first got their first period, because it was so traumatic and, and not really celebrated and giving mm -hmm. them that space to like have a healing experience around that. Uh, and I talk about, yeah, like let's, we can create rituals to honor divorces. We can create rituals to honor graduations. We can create rituals to move into new homes, to move out of homes. Um, there are so many important, meaningful moments for all of us. And even if we didn't grow up in a tradition or have some sort of like consecrated dogmatic tradition doesn't mean we can't create that on our own. And so I, I share some ways you can create your own in the book. Mm, I love, love, love that. I mean, the thing I think that is most, I mean, cause for a lot of people who especially have baggage around religion or around rituals that they were a part of that, that, that did not resonate with them. I think it can feel like we don't mean it, or it can feel like play acting or like, mm. this is silly. Like we get, we almost talk ourselves out of it. I think because we are brought up in such our like, you know, rational driven growth, whatever capitalism, all that stuff. Like I yeah. think our, our instinct is to be like, that's silly. Like it, just making ourselves feel like we shouldn't do stuff like that. And I think one thing that I learned just through my own kind of reclaiming of my spiritual self through my adult life was just to fake it till you make it. <laughs> my old yep. therapist actually was the one that was just like, yeah, you don't, we know you don't believe in God, but just like try, um, acting as if, and I was like, yeah. All right, I'll just try this. and through that, I started to realize it, even if you don't believe in it, in the moment you're doing it, it still has a lot of power just via practicing something. It's like, you're telling your brain, I mean it. And it just through the visual feedback alone, you are giving something, a uh, significant, uh, significant presence in your life. Mm. So I think for the, you know, people who are going through a breakup, for example, to do a gesture of closure where you're like, let's say taking a photo and then you're tearing the photo up in a ceremonious way and then burying it like that has such a incredible impact in your life and how your body chooses to move forward from that point, whether or not in the moment 
you feel invested in it or not. So like, I think ritual has a spooky amount of power in a good way in all, uh, in, in all the ways that like the repercussions will be felt. So I'm like a big proponent of enacting a ritual for whatever you could possibly do (laughs) just because it has power no matter what. I'm so glad you brought that up because I mean, I, I participate in a lot of ritual, both personal and communal. And I still, to this day, sometimes feel really silly (laughs) or even like embarrassed or having moments of like, Oh, or even like giggling to myself. Cause I'm like, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) And, and I think, and that's okay. I love that. We're normalizing that here. Cause like it is, it's okay. It's okay that it feels clunky. It's okay that it feels funny. It's okay in the moment. Like if we're, you're not, I'm, I always tell people when I like lead guided visualizations, I'm like, it's okay. If like halfway through, I'm like guiding you in a forest and you're like thinking of your grocery list or like, (laughs) or or being like, oops, I fell asleep. That's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Like we are doing our best and we're working, you know, in with, we're meeting ourselves where we're at and it's powerful, no matter what, like let's embrace our whole humanity. And, you know, there's like a perfectionism in our culture that makes us feel really Mm. afraid of trying new things. And when, and then like the rational mind you're talking about is quite judgmental. Oh, totally. Because we just don't want to look stupid and we don't want to be caught with our pants down or be a loser, whatever it is. A lot of it is like rooted in like, you know, playground stuff. And it's, so it's brave. It's brave to engage in ritual. Or I think a lot of the time we're like, we associate, it's like, I feel like a lot of the time, at least for me, I'm like, I can't own this as my own thing. This means I'm subscribing to this whole other trend. Culty, uh, you know, like has a kind of humor to it that like, or an irony to it that like conjures a lot of the secret types of, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. Shit on anybody's. No, but I'm with you. But then there's also truth to it. So it's like, there's a, it's, it can feel like you can't open yourself to things because you want to, you don't want to look dumb or you don't want to feel like mocked by other people. Anyway, (laughs) one thing that I think, um, what, that I really appreciated about just the way that your book is, it's first of all, it's very thoughtfully written and, and like, I can feel you're just, your support throughout it. Like your, what your, your voice is very gentle. And I think that's really, it's just a very sweetly written book. Um, but one thing that you, you kind of bring about is like giving, um, weight and power to the stories of your own life and your own childhood and Mm -hmm. giving like almost medicinal power or, or, spiritual power to things that resonated in your family legacy. And like, mm-hmm. I very much feel that way just in my own. Um, I think it just my, who I am as a kid or who I was as a kid, I was always a very sentimental child. And like, mm-hmm. I always gave great meaning to certain things and like was so attached to certain re- repetition of certain practices in my family mm-hmm. and especially foods. So the lima bean soup story really <laughs> stood mm. out to me because you're like, oh. this is, this is the life-saving soup. So yeah. I'd love it. If you could tell, um, mm. if you feel comfortable telling that yeah. story. Oh, wow. Thank you. 
means a lot that you read it and it resonated for you. Yeah. A lot of like the ritual of me writing this book is sharing these aspects of my life, um, which is very vulnerable, uh, <laughs> but very healing for me. So I wrote this in the, the lineage section when I was encouraging folks to connect to stories and foods of their people. So um, I am privileged enough to have access to diary entries written by ancestors. And um, my mom, I was like, mom, she was like the bone collector of the family. She like kept all the uh, documents. And I said, okay, I just drop some off and I'll take a look at them. And I always found them boring, but all of a sudden I found myself pouring through one of them. And it is a diary entry that has been transcribed on a word processor in the early nineties and like terrible font <laughs> of, um, a gr- my great grandmother's sister, my great grandmother, Philomena Schleicher, uh, Amazing name, Philomena. Uh, Philomena Schleicher. I love saying it. <clears throat> so she immigrated with her family, mother and father and um, four siblings from Poland, uh, Poland, Germany, those boundaries moved uh, through New Orleans in the wow. late 1800s. Yeah. It was easier Amazing. to get in through New Orleans than it was through Ellis Island or San Francisco. Yes. And New Orleans at the time was kind of like lawless, wild place. And in that diary entry, they talk about um, not being allowed to go out at Mardi Gras because um, it was so violent, which is really interesting. Wow. Yeah. So uh, in this one part of the diary entry, uh, it talks about how all the children, my great-grandmother was um, six at the time, worked at a shrimp factory. So that's the legacy of child labor in this <laughs> country, immigrant children shelling shrimp. Uh, they worked at a shrimp factory Uh, And they lived in factory housing. And uh, one night, their housing burned down. And uh, her father was working like a railroad or something far away. And so it was her mother and all the kids. And then they were, they were homeless. They were homeless. And so, um, yeah, content warning. I'm about to talk about some like intense um, suicide. So, uh, she, their, her mother didn't know what to do and, uh, broke homeless immigrant. And so she resolved to take her children and her to, um, to drown themselves, to drown themselves because they were so hopeless. So I know, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So she was walking and the children knew. So, uh, they were walking to do that. And um, a woman who knew them stopped them and asked what they were doing or found out what they were doing and said, no, no, come, you can stay with us. And when they went into her home, she served them lima bean soup. And in the diary entry, it said, I've never had this soup, and lima bean soup. Uh, And that was in the diary entry. And I just read it and thought, oh my gosh, had that woman not stopped them, and serve them that lima bean soup. I, my grandmother, my great grandmother never would have had my grandmother who never would have had my father who never would have had me. 
That would have been the end of that line. That lima bean soup is the life-saving soup. It was so powerful, you know, and it was kind of like a, you know, benign, um, a little bit bland, just sort of like chronicling of life diary entry, but I was able to like pull those words and make those conclusions. And it was very powerful for me. So now lima bean soup is a big deal in my life. (laughs) And amazing that you have that perspective, you know, what a gift. I feel like I have a similar, not as tragic, potentially tragic, but I mean, probably could have gotten there. My, on my Korean side, my Nana was, and I feel like these types of stories are so common in this time period. And like, yes, also in my family background, but my Nana, my Korean grandma was, I think I want to say nine years old and her mother died. And then, and she had a, like probably five siblings and her dad was going to just put them all in an orphanage because he could Mm -hmm. not handle taking care of them by himself. And she said, no, no, I'll take care of everybody. Please don't put us in an orphanage. So she stopped going to to school and took care of all of her siblings for the rest of her and until they were all grown. And that energy, you could feel it in her, uh, you know, my experience of my grandmother, my Nana was like, I could totally feel that in her personality of just, I didn't get my turn ever. Like I, I had so much I was going to do. It was like very much living through her, um, everything she did and like her role as a grandmother, (laughs) the burden she carried. Yeah. And just always wanting to have had her own life. I'm getting away from the soup aspect, but like, no, there just, is though. It's, yeah. it was such a, a powerful piece of information for me to get. Cause I'm like, Holy fucking shit, man. I have it so good. I, I mean, I find my own traumas that I've been through, but I'm like, that is just right. Just right. What you go through. Um, I mean, to survive. And now we will have a brief intermission to hear a word from our sponsors. Sorry, it took us to such a dark. No, (laughs) don't apologize. It's so, and we all have a version of that, right? Mm -hmm. If we're privileged enough to know those stories. Yeah, it's. To, yeah, to think like all of us have millions of ancestors and they all somehow lived mm-hmm. so we could be alive now. And there are so many stories in there. Some we know, most we don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, yeah, I mean, it brings a level of empathy, compassion, gratitude. Yeah, there's a lot there. Very humbling, Yeah, I think. And yeah, gratitude, totally. Yeah, and I, I appreciate also just like exactly what you said, the chain of like, I'm so lucky that you lived and that you survived and that you powered through and you made it so I could live like all of these different, all these generations went through such hell. And I'm so, so grateful for all that they endured so that I can be alive today and have my kids be, have, you know, have very, 
protected, joyful, um, supported life. And then you becoming the ancestor, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, they're your descendants and, um, you are, you've, you know, you're becoming the ancestor. You are the ancestor, uh, that ones will speak of or draw upon and has contributed to this line. Like you, you take your place in that. That's mm. powerful too. Yeah. And that is why I think, um, this was a timely read for me. Cause I do, I do want to have those rituals and, yeah. um, practices that we can all do together and that have meaning. And I think mm-hmm. if we don't have a lot of meaning in our, in our regular lives, like we have to kind of create it, we can yes. give it importance and depth and meaning. Um, and magic. <laughs> yes. What yes, are you? And, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to ask you what your favorite. Um, I know you garden, but like, what are your favorite r- ritual practices that you do for yourself and your, your family? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sort of beginning again. I had my first child and felt like my whole life blow up and I had <laughs> to start <laughs> over, which apparently is common in a major rite, rite of passage. Uh, and so, yeah, I used to have so many rituals and now it's about simple, meaningful ones. Uh, so like with my daughter, it's saying good morning to the sun every morning, saying thank you for shining and providing life and saying hello to the moon, even if we don't (laughs) see it every evening and thanking it for the tides and the gravity and all of that. Uh, and, um, yeah, with her, it's a lot of like, I want, I want her to feel an awe and wonder and love for the living world. Uh, and so, which she naturally has, you know, just Mm. like, she loves, like when the wind blows through the trees, we dance like the trees and she Mm. always like pets and thanks the flowers. And, and that's, and then I do it too, right? I'm doing it with her. It's not just modeling. It's like, no, we're going to do it together. Uh, and then actually a ritual that happened after having her. So postpartum hair loss is a thing. Oh, yeah. Right? You have a child and then you are brushing your hair and a lot of hair comes out. <laughs> and uh, I was noticing I was feeling grief around that. And then I realized like, oh, this hair represents the that human being that one without children who had all that freedom. And, um, and I was feeling like a tension there missing that life. And, and like this hair contains the cells of those, of those lives of of those years of that life. And so I collected all that hair, like big old hairball. And, um, and I buried the strands of it in my garden And I had a friend say, oh, you're introducing yourself and composting your old self to like the mycelium and microbes of your land. So, yeah. So I still sometimes like just pull hair out of my hairbrush uh, and just like bring it to my garden. And that was that was like just an urge I had. And it felt like kind of weird, right? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of funny. And I was like, oh, it was weird hairball. Like, what am I doing? It felt good 
and I, I share this one a lot and I get people go like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And I remember being like, this is weird. I'm about to tell you something really weird, but I never really get met with like, you're so weird. I get met with, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So those, that has been, those have been, um, powerful and like easy rituals mm-hmm. for me. Mm, I love it. Yeah. I, um, I'm very into dream work and are doing oh, cool. dream work with myself. And like, um, the one thing that I find is makes cements the motion in my life based on the learning I get from my dreams is if I enact a, a ritual based on it. So it's like, I'm demonstrating, hmm. I heard you. And this is my gesture of, this is my gift of acknowledgement world universe self. And, um, a lot of them involve burying things. Oh, (laughs) really? Yeah. Or some, some related, something related to earth and digging or, uh, a bath of some sort. Um, yeah. But like one recent one is just, um, was very tied to abalone. So I had, uh, it was kind of like a waking dream. I do dream classes, um, cool with a, gr- with a group of people. Yeah. And so wonderful. one of the symbols that came forth was this, this abalone shell. And I was like, abalone, what's abalone from? And it's the, it's a Korean art form of, or like basically, um, imp- embedding abalone or mother of pearl into like a very lacquered wood, it's like an ornate kind of oh, beautiful. Yeah. And I used to hide inside of this giant chest that was covered in abalone mother of pearl when I was a little kid, it was my Korean grandmother's chest. And so I was like, Oh, I remember that kid. That's the kid self I'm trying to connect to right now. So, um, yes. So one of my rituals was to basically get, um, abalone shell and like kind of feel be with the shell and feel the shell and like it's it brings me so much joy mm-hmm. um yeah so a bit like seeking it out it was like, it was like a really fun process um mm. so yeah I'm like all about the whatever random ritual happens to present itself in my mind I'm like I'm gonna spend my Saturday doing that that's so cool that you're really open and receptive and then willing to do it. <laughs> you know, I think so many people get the ideas and they're like, oh, I don't know, but that's beautiful that you have a practice of like <laughs> receiving and doing the ritual that comes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes <laughs> as we already touched on, I do feel silly Yeah, and, or there's that like other part of my brain that's like, do you mean this though? Yeah. I mean, are you just really just faking this? Totally. Maybe like, you are. Yeah. But if it feels good, <laughs> I'll do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Appreciate the hairball story. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there any um, favorite part of your book that you would love to talk about? Hmm. Well, yeah, I was talking about the four parts. And so the fourth part. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot I cut you off. <laughs> Oh, no, it's fine. I loved it. Yeah. So the fourth part is self. Uh, and so you can't really talk about belonging without first talking about belonging to your own self and talking about our journeys with our inner critics and our feelings of worthiness and, 
and that's often quite tender. So that's where the book completes is um, looking at ourselves and our beliefs with ourselves and the way we talk to ourselves. I talk about my journey with my body and invite you, the reader, into the journey with their body. Uh, and then I talk about unleashing um, your wildness. So talking about how, like I said earlier, that we, our ancestors were connected to the living world, to the wild ways, to the nature, to nature, to uh, seasons and cycles of the earth. And so I talk about how I live uh, seasonally. I commit to be noticing where I live in my bioregion, how my body feels um, during the seasons, how my body feels during the moon phases, how my body feels in my menstrual phase. Um, and being and just really reminding the reader that 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 they can do the same too. Uh, and then bringing the magic in, I invite you to make it, I invite the reader to make a talisman, I invite the reader to write to their future self, and to really engage in that place of, I am worthy of feeling belonging, connection, love, um, a sense of being uh, rooted and grounded here in this time, uh, which is often quite tender and intense. Uh, and, and important, you know, I, I find when I talk about belonging, um, a lot of folks are like, yeah, yeah. Friendships and community and yes, yes, yes. Community care. It's like, yeah. And also you, your relationship with you and taking a look at all of that. So that's the final section of the book. Mm, intense. Um, I'm curious cause, oh, I am very excited to do the letter to your future self, by the way, I haven't I started yeah. to do it. And then I was like, I don't know who that self is. Like I had a very hard time envisioning that person because I'm like, I don't want to make it too uh, much of a perfectionistic thing. <laughs> it's like, I had to like yeah. take, take a step back from it for a bit, bit. but um, I'm curious what you meant by like, when you did this process yourself, how it was intense. Hmm. Really being confronted with my, my self-belief. So there's this whole thing of like, would you talk the way you talk to yourself? Would you talk to your friends that way? And it's often like, no, like we can be our harshest critics. And oftentimes, um, especially those of us who have engaged in therapy or healing work or spirituality work, we, we come up against, um, whether it's like ancestral family traumas, the way we were raised, the impacts of the way our ancestors were raised, just like epigenetically appearing in our bodies. Like there's so much there that needs to be held with care. And um, this perfectionism can come into of like, well, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. And so the intensity is something that I invite us all to be with the discomfort of taking a look at ourselves being soft with, you know, experiences in the past where um, either we like maybe in our childhood where we were not parented or caregived in this way that we wanted to and uh, the ways maybe we treated our bodies or our hearts in moments in the past or relationships. There's just like a lot there. And so when I talk about intensity, I really talk about tenderness and, um, and I think what I'm inviting everyone listening into is just like the long game here. That's, 
that's really my whole goal is that we all slow the fuck down with our healing with our, (laughs) and be gentle. That's my whole thing. I'm a gentleness person. Uh, and that unlearning these ways and rehabiting these patterns, it takes time. Mm -hmm. And so if we can slow down and be with all of it, uh, I think that's the most sustainable way to make change for the better, mm. to feel more meaning and joy in our lives. Mm-hmm. I really like, I feel like there are two themes that are kind of popping out. One of which is uh, just taking time and slowing down. And then the other being simple, like yeah, so simple. And that's like the best kind of not that this is a self-help book, but that is the best kind of self-help. It's like just t- very, very basic. Like it's not yeah. like you're going to have a bullet journal where you're like writing 300 things. It's right. Super, just simple, be simple and slow down. Like we can all do that. Well, it's I think a lot digestible. of us are burning out right now, mm-hmm. you know, on, on information overload, um, emotional over like there's just a lot we're carrying so yes that I am advocating for a simpler way of being mm. you know what's so funny is like well because the part that you that I already quoted with the pulling back from or untraining this habit of urgency mm. that hit that resonates a lot with me I mean it's I feel like it's a process I have to consciously go through at least yearly where I remind myself to unplug consciously and pull back from the urgency. Cause it is like this weird addiction. I feel like, you know, it's like every we it's, it's almost like it's tapping into this very, uh, just biological, almost like flaw (laughs) in our wiring where we can get like trapped in this hamster wheel it like in the same way that slot machines affect us I feel like there are certain things that like tap into just an unconscious setting we have and it's very easy to just get lost and forget and like not step back and slow down so I'm I feel like I'm constantly trying to like temper that and remind myself like this setting of urgency is a concept it's a, it's a thing that does not really exist in reality. And it's, I'm in part feeding it and like creating it, co-creating it. And if I can consciously step back and be non-reactive to all mm-hmm. of the information and that's telling me to like go really fast, if I can be very selective in that and tell it like, no, and not engage with it, time actually slows down. Mm-hmm. And space actually opens up and all of it isn't, you start to realize it's not real when it, it's like yeah. when we're in it, it feels real. Yeah. And when we can step back from it, we're like, oh, all of this wasn't necessary at all. There's, and yet there are so many systems that are trying to tell us like, hurry though, hurry, you got to do this. Like, don't forget to do this. Wait, you're missing this. And like, it's all none of it's really necessary at all. Oh, I'm so into that. Yeah. <laughs> it's- urgency is manufactured and hurts us. It's violent. Urgency is violent, uh, to our 
bodies, to our relationships with each other, to the way we treat the planet, to the way it's just, it's no good. And it's addicting as hell. Yeah. I mean, I, you're doing that annually. I'm doing that monthly. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) okay, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And I think it's okay to notice yourself doing it. That's the point. Notice it. And then be Mm -hmm. like, whoa, do I need to do this? Yeah. Ooh, you're giving me this idea for like an urgency cleanse. Ooh, nice. Maybe we should. Yeah. Maybe that should be like a, a monthly thing. Everybody does. Yeah. Check in, check in with that. Yeah. Really like taking a day to just step back and deprogram. Mm -hmm. It's, it is, it's weird. It's a scary feeling. It's like falling backwards a little bit like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, but I'm going to mess things up. I'm going to miss. Yeah. I can't, but people are going to be mad. You know, like fear-based, like the wanting to check a smartphone feeling. Yeah. It's very in our fibers. But I also think it's like a muscle, you know, like an atrophied muscle that if you just like keep lifting the weight, it gets stronger. Mm -hmm. That's why I I do check in often because I'm noticing, I'm noticing that like, I'm increasingly more okay with taking four days to respond to an email. And now like, Oh, what if I put in my email signature that I will take up to four days? I will take up to seven days. Yeah. Like how, how would that be? Like how, yeah. And like, you know, a year ago it'd have been like, no way. I'm, I'm like so inspired by that idea. I know it's, it's like, it's truly radical. So I'm saying radical. Yeah. Simple and powerful. Blowing my mind right now. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Love that. I know. I'm like, what could I trim? What, what, what thing yeah. could I take extra time to do? Oh, it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, well, I would love it if you could tell me, I mean, I know you are also a podcaster. I would love to hear yeah. all of the things you do, all of the, your website, your book, everything. Just if you could give me all that info at once. Sure. Okay. So the book is called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And you can get it in all the places that you get the books. And uh, yeah, I have a podcast called Belonging. Uh, it's not the mega church one. It's the one with Becca Piastrelli. <laughs> You'll find it. Uh and yeah, you can find me Becca Piastrelli on Instagram. If you type in some semblance of that algorithms, find me and my website, it's beccapiastrelli.com. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and the book is on Amazon. I wish I had like another name of a company that I could throw out there, but it's on all the things. Yeah. It's on Bookshop, all the things. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indie Books. Ask your local bookstore to carry it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say get one for a friend, get one for yourself and get one for a friend. It's a beautiful book. I loved yes. it. I love yeah. it. It's active in my life right now. So I'm very Thank grateful you. that I crossed, uh, your path and you crossed my path. Oh, I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Um, well, it's lovely to meet you and, yeah. um, thank you for talking with me today. Such a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a wonderful weekend, long weekend. Oh, because it's Friday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you too. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Becca. Bye, Sarah. Bye.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.